Well, Carl, I'm, I'm going to pray that you get your asteroids off the brain there. <clears throat> we'll have to get him maybe a little baby meteor or something. I had a rock shop. I wouldn't want it to fall on you tonight, Carl. The sky is not falling. How often does something like this happen? Not, not very often. So if you're freaked out tonight, just go to sleep to the sound of my voice. Strongdisciple.com. And I'll just sing you to sleep. Okay? <clears throat> Besides, if you're asleep, you won't know that the asteroid hits. So don't worry. Okay? Well, I hope that you guys had a good week. Um, and I hope that you gave some thought to what we talked about last week. We're going to continue this series entitled, Lead Yourself Well. So let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer, okay? Father, we just thank you tonight for your faithfulness in our lives. That you have a purpose for everything that you allow in each of our lives. It's not always easy for us, Lord, to remember that. <clears throat> we get caught up in how challenging and difficult and hard our circumstances are. We don't sometimes grasp or remember your promises. And it's not easy for us, Lord, to remember that you're going to work everything for good in our lives. Lord, we just ask you tonight that you would impart wisdom to us from the Word of God. That you'd help us, Lord, to live our lives better. <clears throat> that you'd give us an understanding of your truth. That you'd help us, Lord, to live in the freedom that you intended for us. That you'd help us to cultivate the perspectives and the characteristics in our lives that would bring about, in a very real sense, the success and the strength of character that would help us accomplish your will and the responsibilities that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, I thought tonight I would read you something a, a young man sent to me this week. And it was an application of what we talked about last week. So I'll give you a little rundown. We're, we're, we're doing this series entitled Lead Yourself Well. And the primary reason I'm doing it is because I've had a number of conversations. You know, as a pastor, my primary concern is you, the sheep, the flock. The Bible refers to you as both. The people of God, the people in my care, the sheep. And, and often I keep my ear to the ground, not only to God, to God's voice, to his word, but to you. And sometimes you see a pattern emerge through the phone calls or the emails that you're sent when people are asking for advice. And, and recently, it just kind of a recurring theme that people are having difficulty with life. Now, there can be a lot of reasons why we have difficulty with life. There can be hardships that come, difficulties that come, and people are asking for prayer but the theme that's been recurring over and over, people just struggling to get a grasp on life, to sort of get on top of life. Life's kind of been on top of them. And so this, this theme that was recurring in these conversations made me realize that <clears throat> there's a lot of characteristics and cultivation that needs to happen in individuals' lives. And some of the biggest reasons they were struggling was because of the lack of diligence. And not only the lack of diligence, but the lack of perspective 
of how I'm supposed to view my life. And so that's why we went in last week. I know for some of you might have thought, God, that's kind of a strange way. But we looked at Proverbs chapter 27 where we talk about the, the command of Scripture that tells us to know well the condition of our herds. In other words, take a family farmer's perspective. And, and just I'm just going to read this just as I wrote it so that you understand. For thousands of years, almost everyone lived in such a way that they had to produce everything they needed. They had their own land, they plowed it, they planted their seed, they reaped their food, they raised their herd, they gathered their own eggs, they made their own clothes, they built their own house, they cut their own wood. In a nutshell, their whole life was spent leading and managing themselves and caring for their own needs and producing and making what they needed and what their family needed. It was a hard life, but a good life. If they didn't do these things, they'd starve or die or freeze. Their very lives depended on their diligence, their plans, and their efforts. Put another way, the farmer cannot loaf or sit around and waste time and do nothing. He cannot get distracted from the needs and the things that need to be done because there's no one else to get it done. If he messes around and doesn't get the seed in the ground at the right time, he's out of luck. If he plays around instead of getting the harvest in, the moisture comes, the frost will ruin it, and he's left with nothing. What we don't realize is life is just this way. Marriage is this way. Raising kids is this way. Your health and fitness is this way. Your emotions and your finances are this way. If you let them go for a day, you'll be in trouble. You can't let them go. You and I live in a very different world today in an urban culture, in a highly technologically advanced culture. Most of us just have to get ourselves out of bed, get into a car that we bought, which is great, and drive to a job where we are told everything we're supposed to do. There's a sales department. They make sure the orders are coming in. There's a boss who tells us what we need to do. Your life is not like that. You must decide to give yourself orders. And you must know why you're giving yourself those orders. Tonight we're going to get into living by priorities. And most people are missing their priorities because one, they either don't have them or their life is so chaotic that they distract themselves with fun <clears throat> instead of ordering the chaos and the stress out of their lives. I didn't know if you realized you could do that most of the time. Now, <clears throat> God brings us trials. I, I cannot magically, poof, make the trials of God disappear. But many people that I counsel and have dealt with for the last quarter of a century are dealing with self inflicted stress and chaos because they do not manage it out of their lives because they do not lead their life well. So they end up with health issues. They're parenting. I mean, I know so many moms over the years. They're run ragged. Why? Because they don't, and dad as well, do not know how to lead and manage and train the children so that there's 
peace in the home. And instead of peace in the home, there is chaos and you want to rip your hair out. And you're worn down all the time. I know people with their finances. They're just like a little rat on the wheel. They never get ahead because they have no discipline, because they have no goals, because they have no priorities, and they bring no order to their world. Same is true with our emotions. I don't know if you know this, but we're to lead our emotions. That doesn't mean that at any given time you might receive a phone call and hear some disaster or some you know, very difficult thing and your emotions are smacked in the face. That happens. But I'm talking about the strength of character. You know what? I used to tell my young leaders this I was working with. I said, I wished all of you for one year had to be a salesman on straight commission. Many years ago, I accidentally fell into that kind of job. Although the person who hired me lied and I didn't know it was straight commission. So I took the job. I didn't have any other options. And lo and behold, I found out that the company was doing half in this territory what he told me. I found out that every shop that I called on, this particular gentleman that hired me had a terrible reputation. And I literally, the first five stops I made, when they found out who I represented, they swore at me, pointed to the door with bright red faces and said, get the blank out of here. Now, it would be uh, an understatement to say I was discouraged. (laughs) I've been looking for a job for three months with no money, no income coming in, no help anywhere. And uh, I had just a little bit to get us fryer chickens to make soup every day. That's what we had. And Celeste, my daughter who was here a minute, she was a little baby. And my wife would queeze in our potatoes. And we had no baby food. She'd eat potatoes. And finally I found this job. And I remember... I, 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 was, I was just dumbfounded. And you know what I thought to myself? I thought, this is what I have to face every single day? And my attitude wanted to tank. Have you ever tried to go out and make sales when your attitude is in the toilet? You cannot walk up to customers with a sullen face. You cannot walk into a shop with a pathetic, negative, pessimistic attitude and expect you're going to sell anything. And so I got a hold that first week of a little book, an ancient book called How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success. It was about sales. It was written in the 40s. I devoured the book. And I realized, oh my gosh, have I got to learn to kick my attitude in the butt My wife and children are depending on me kicking my attitude in the butt and making some sales. And if I don't, we aren't going to eat. I mean, it was that bad. It was that situation. That was the scenario. That was the reality. And I learned in the arena of life to lead Mark. To make Mark do what he didn't want to do, but what he really did want to do. See, there's that duality. And I began to realize that if anything was going to change in my life, I was going to have to change it. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, God's in my life. I went out every single day praying to God over my territory. The Bible started to come alive because now I'm in the arena. And if God doesn't come through, we're in trouble. And God just started revealing so many needs in my life, Mark. You got to develop your work ethic, Mark. You got to have a plan. You got to prepare. You got to get your heart right. You got to get your spirit right. You got to learn to smile. You got to learn to deal with rejection. You got to learn to deal with the word no. You got to learn to stay hopeful when there's no hope. At the end of that year, that territory had doubled in business. The, the vice president of my company was shocked. I did not know anything about cars or automotives except I, I knew about oil. I know what four tires are. I know what a muffler is. I know what a battery is. But the pistons and the rods and, and the valves and all the things guys would want to order, I didn't really want to know that. So when I'd come back to the shop during the, the afternoon when I was filling orders, I would look. There was a, this is before computers. Like I said, last century, back in the olden days. And you've got this big catalog that extends across the counter this far. And I would study them. I would make up a car in my mind in a year. And then I'd look for something so that I could get really fast. So when a customer called, I'd be the fastest guy in the store who could solve the problem. That illustrates in a nutshell what I'm talking about, leading yourself. And there is no success, no productivity, and no usefulness to God if you do not conquer you. If you do not learn to do what must and needs to be done in order to succeed, and God gives us his plan. Well, so I'm sharing this last week, and man, I, I was just so touched by this, I asked... This individual, they gave me permission to read this. I've taken all the names out. <clears throat> but I thought it would illustrate to you <clears throat> what it means to step back in your life <clears throat> and lead yourself into the changes that need to be made. Mark, <clears throat> about a month ago, my wife and I had a bit of a disagreement over some physical intimacy issues. Not too unsimilar to what you were talking about at the dad's workshop. That ought to pique your interest, fellas. You ought to show up at the dad's workshop sometime. <clears throat> you see, because at our workshop, we talk about how to become a dad. That involves intimacy. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> I am so drawn to this incredible woman of God, and there's been times where my selfishness and pushing has dominated my personality to the point where I've created tension. <clears throat> this particular situation was a little bit different because there were things on both sides going on. The next day, God really softened my heart to hear his voice. Much of what I've struggled with over the years directly ties to two core issues, which I think many men battle. One, my selfishness in my desires. Two, giving God full control and thus acknowledging that I am not in control. This submission has led to a bunch of positive benefits personally, with my kids and in my marriage. <clears throat> I also asked my wife what specific areas she observed that I really needed to hone in on, and she had two core areas for me to focus on. This is going to make you so excited to get married, young people. This is the nitty-gritty. Forget all the honeymoon stuff. Forget all that, oh, we're so in love. This is the stuff you have to deal with. So he's sitting down, asking his wife, because sex isn't going so well. We got to talk. It's uncomfortable. What's going on? Here's what she said. A, take care of yourself better. 
Would you trim your face hair and your other hair consistently and work out and tone your body? Be consistent with these things. Ooh, that kind of hurts. Imagine if the shoe was on the other foot, ladies, and your husband's telling you, well, sweetheart, you know, that 75 extra pounds is a little difficult for me to concentrate sometimes. You want to hear something interesting? Big, big study. Huge study. Number one reason men don't want to commit to marriage because they're afraid their wife's going to put on a whole lot of weight as soon as they get married. Does that blow your mind? Except that happens to multitudes of people. These are the realities that hit you when you're married. B, your spiritual leadership and consistency. The few days following this conflict, more of an iron sharpens iron event, I developed a plan to implement some new habits. I developed a plan. The plans of the diligent lead to advantage. Trust me when I tell you, he's a happy camper right now. Okay? To implement some new habits and consistencies that I've desired for a long time, but honestly, I was just allowing my selfish desires to rule. Your message on Friday about diligence directly hit on these exact things. Here's some of the things that I've done. Go to bed by 11 each night. Now, I want you to listen carefully to these things. Previously, I have been up till 1 or 3 a.m., depending on how much work needed to be done for my wife. Now, their situation was his wife has some health issues, so he'd been staying up to serve, which is a commendable thing, very commendable. But as this goes on, you'll understand how it unraveled. As a result, as she began to get better, I kept staying up late, and honestly, There's nothing valuable for me to waste my time on after 11 p.m. I was spending time watching TV, playing games, and nothing worth any value. So you see see what kind of transpired here. This guy doing a really good thing, trying to serve his wife, staying up really late because of a health issue. But then she started to get better. He did not live by his priorities. He didn't make adjustments. And so what does he do? He defaults to TV, entertainment, games, wasting time. To one or three in the morning. Not cool. <clears throat> the result is that I was tired all the time, exhausted at work, tired when I got home, and crabby. It all started because it was necessary to help my wife, but not necessary anymore. As a result of going to bed on time, I wake up early and exercise. This has probably been the biggest help of anything. It balances my mind, makes me energized, and my wife has seen a direct visual change. Yes, she will. Which then I can sense because she's much more drawn physically to me. I have also been listening to messages in the morning. That will always help to listen to Mark Garling in the morning. I just wanted you to know that. Okay? That that right there, that is a life changer right there. Okay, and praying much more. Yes, how long have I been talking about that? Years since you've all known me. The balance, this balance has also made me much more patient with the kids and other things in general. And I want to say a huge amen to that. Guys, some of you may be wired more like me and this particular gentleman, but I'm telling you right now, prayer is one of the most powerful Tools God has given for mellowing out Mark Garland. Prayer is what 
makes me more patient, more understanding. It's why I dare not skip it. She also mentioned things. Well, I won't mention that. On the spiritual side, the biggest change has really been making sure I'm seeking and seeing God around me. I'm not spending time on the TV or on worthless things unless I've read and journaled and prayed. And even then, I want to make sure I'm not pouring myself into worthless things. I've seen consistencies in prayer and reading that haven't been in place at this depth for some time. I've also been stretching myself to make sure that I'm speaking the truths I'm finding about God to my family. It's a huge struggle and not terribly natural for me to do this. But I've had to make sure I do it intentionally. Otherwise, the need fades into the noise of life. I'm sure you know this about women in general. But the closer I get to God and seek Him, the more drawn my wife is to me. That is a fact. Of all these things, diligence, determination, and consistency in my plan has been the key to all of this. I had to die to my desire and habits that I liked, such as staying up late and watching TV and playing games and replace them with God-honoring and wife-honoring habits and behaviors. This past month has been a welcome change. I know God has much more to grow and stretch planned from us. He has placed us in the perfect church with the perfect people around us. God is so good and so faithful. That is awesome. You have no idea how it does my heart to receive emails like this. Someone actually practicing what they heard. I got another email here from a young lady. I won't take time to read it all. But she was commenting on last week's message and she said, Mark, this particular uh, person had written to me asking for very specific advice. They had, um, uh, for some years, kind of drifted. They were serving the Lord, but it drifted in their habits from God and really become, to some degree, disillusioned, very discouraged. And so we began writing back and forth. And I gave them some very tender but very specific things to do. You've got to get back in the Word of God. I encouraged them to listen to some messages only because I thought that would give them kind of a a boost, kind of spiritual steroids to kickstart them and get them going and to begin to pray. Well, so they began doing it and marvelous changes began to happen for a year now, almost two years straight. This person has not missed their quiet time. But recently they wrote me and said, Mark, I really would like to lose some weight and... um, This whole food thing, I know you've commented on it. I know I have really bad eating habits, to be honest. And I eat out much. Uh, I'm single. I don't take the time to cook because it takes too long. Would you help me? And I love to help. I I mean, it's my passion. So I said, absolutely. So I wrote back. I know you're going to think this is crazy. But for people who really want this kind of help, I mean, I go all out and it'll change your life. So I wrote back and I said, there's exactly what you do. I know that prayer is important to you. From now on, never pray without walking, except if you're in your car. Prayer walk. And I want you to do 30 minutes. I want you to start with 30 minutes. And here I put a link. Here's the exact shoes I want you to go look at. Now, you don't have to get this pair, but you need a really good pair of walking shoes. It'll make all the difference. I want you to get some rental wool socks. Yep, I brought those up too. And then I said, for diet, you can do what I do. You can make a few adjustments. But here's exactly what I eat. Every day I eat it all the time. Same time. See, time. I'm one pound more today than I was when I married Kathy. And this person began to do, they're a doer, they've lost 34 pounds. 
34 pounds. They wrote me in this email, Mark, I lost 34 pounds. I've just been prayer walking. I just, and when it's too cold, I just pace in my basement like you said. I just prayer pace and I pace back and forth. And you know the snacks you told me about, Mark, the food, all that? I've been doing that and, and they said it's just so natural now. I never, ever, ever buy anything out of a vending machine at work. I pre-take all my stuff like you suggested and it's been a life changer. I say this really humbly. I really mean this. The word of God and his wisdom and the way I can share it with you will change your life if you do it. It'll change your family if you do it. It'll change your body if you do it. It'll change your emotions if you do it. It will change your life if you begin to practice diligence in little things. If you listen and obey and do it. I mean, wisdom. I got to tell you, I have the most fun living wisdom. Living wisdom is the most fun in my life. And, and, and then when I get to share it with other people, to be able to do this for a living and pass these things on is the greatest joy in my life. I just want to share with you a couple little secrets this evening that are incredibly important. Living by your priorities. All of us here, I really believe in your heart, I really believe this, want a different life. When I say that, I mean we want a better life. We want a wiser life. We want a more effective life. There are things we'd like to accomplish, <clears throat> each and every person here tonight, and uh, there's things holding us back. So tonight I want to talk with you about your priorities. Keeping the main things the main things. <clears throat> I believe one of the greatest strengths that I've developed over the years is focus. I have an intense Focus. I bring everything in my life under my priorities. I do not deviate from my priorities. My wife, I saw this as a great strength with Kathy. I wish sometimes, you know, I don't have the little iPhone. Sometimes I just kind of wished I did, only because I wished I could have recorded days and days and days in different sections of life and what my wife was like. But I'm telling you, I have known, <clears throat> I know people all over the country. <clears throat> I know all kinds of Christians, I have not yet met a woman who is so devoted, passionately focused on raising her children for God. Kathy did not allow anything, anything to knock her off her purpose. Not hobbies, not girlfriends, not the telephone, nothing. And there were times I'd even watch or observe her. She might, someone might call her on the phone and she was kind of, you know, encouraged to talk to them. <clears throat> and she would just say, you know what? Excuse me. I'll have to talk to you later. I have to go. And she'd just hang up the phone just like that. Not mean, not blunt, just direct and get right to the need that needed to go on with those children. <clears throat> there was so much peace in our home. It was just so much joy. And, Pete, and and usually, to be blunt, to be really honest, when there wasn't, it was my fault. And I'm not proud of it. But there was just, she just, just did not deviate from training their character. She could hear them. She had ears like a hawk. She was on them. She encouraged them. She loved them with her teaching of them. I mean, it was just... It's just an unbelievable 
beautiful thing to watch. And I've told Kathy, if I could die and come back a thousand times, I don't know if she'd say this, but I'd always die and come back with her. To live life over and just watch and observe. We understood our focus and our priorities, and we have not deviated from them. And I want to share those with you because actually they're the same for you. You just may not know it. I want you to ask yourself this question. How well do you manage your life? You are the manager of your life. God is your boss. You are the manager of your life. For many people, time gets away from them. They often fail to accomplish the most important things each day because they don't build their life and their plans and their schedule around their priorities. They haven't taken the time to think through what the priorities really are. They just want to relax. Or their life is so chaotic and disorganized that they get discouraged and distract themselves from reality. So tonight, I just have a couple passages I want to reflect on really quickly with you. One is foundational, and I read it the first week that I began to follow Jesus Christ when I was 19 years old, and it made an indelible impression upon me. It's in Matthew chapter 6, and verse. I'm going to start with verse 24. Jesus is speaking. No one, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or support the one and treat the other with contempt. But you cannot serve God and money. Pleasure. The things that money can buy. Can't serve both. You can't have an allegiance to both. You can't have a priority to both. You're going to have to decide, Mark, which is your priority. I'll tell you, therefore, do not get caught up about your living What you are to eat or drink or about your body, what you are to wear. You know, it's amazing how you just get so caught up in fashion. We can be so worried about, oh, oh, I got to get this and I got to get that. And it's all in our mind. It just dominates us. And our pursuit of money is all about what we can buy with that money. Is not life more important than its nourishment and the body than its clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow or reap or gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Furthermore, who of you is able through worry to add one moment to your life's course? And why worry about clothes? Observe carefully how the field of these grow. They neither toil or spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor has never dressed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field that exists today and thrown in the furnace, will he not more surely clothe you of little faith? All God is saying is this. Of course, you and I have the responsibility to choose how we're going to dress for each day. But he's saying, I'll provide for you. I'll meet those needs. Do not make them your primary concern. Do not then anxiously say, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? For all these things, the pagans center their lives around. The pagans. Another word for pagan is the non-believer, the worldly, the non-Christian, the person not living for God. Their whole life revolves around the new phone, what car they're going to get, what Kevin they're going to get, what clothes they're going to get, what stuff, stuff, stuff. That's why Americans are all in debt. 
Because they're living beyond their means. Because their whole life. Do you know the average American eats out five times a week? Do you know how expensive it is to eat out? But we think rather highly of ourselves. We deserve to be waited on. We deserve servants. No, we're not Downton Abbey. We don't have a gigantic castle with servants. We do it a different way. We go out to eat because we don't want to take care of ourselves, and we allow others to wait on us. Paying almost triple or quadruple what it would cost to eat at home if we fed ourselves. And I'm not saying it's wrong to ever go out on a date and eat, but I'm trying to help you understand the perspective that Americans are way overboard because our life centers around material things. God says don't do that. But you, Christian, seek first his kingdom, his business, his mission, his cause, and his righteousness. Become like him. Go after righteous things. Develop godliness in your life. And all these things, they'll be added to you. Do not worry, therefore, in view of tomorrow. For tomorrow will have its own difficulties. Each day's peculiar troubles are sufficient for it. I want to couple that with one other verse and then we'll extrapolate some of the wisdom that's there. 1 Peter 4, I remember the first time I read this. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer as well. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, you've decided to stop living for sin and you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, lust, greed, covetousness, material things, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Now this is the truth. Since I was 19 years old, I've had one overriding primary passionate desire. I am not saying that Mark Darling has never sinned or made mistakes. I'm saying simply to you that at 19, I turned. I turned. And instead of living for the things for fame and fortune, and I was watching a movie the other day with my wife. Actually, I bought it special. It's a very inspirational movie, but it's also got a lot of important lessons as well. It's called The Endurance, and it's the story of Ernest Shackleton. It's narrated by Liam Neeson. It came out in 1998 or 2000, and it's really, really powerful about this adventure. But the whole reason there's even a story of Shackleton is because Shackleton was seeking fame and fortune in 1914. He wanted everybody to know him. He wanted to have fame. He wanted to have glory. That is not what I live for, but I was when I was 19. I know this sounds crazy to you. It is. It's dumb. But I really wanted to be a famous artist. Not a famous musician, but an artist musician like Damien Rice. Damien Rice is not like you too that fills giant stadiums. I didn't care about that. I wanted to be like a musician artist. And God turned me. 
And the only thing that mattered to me was the will of God. What is the will of God? What does God want me to do with my life? And I'm going to seek first him. He's my primary pursuit and his righteousness and his cause and his purpose in my life and leading others to Christ and serving and everything else from that day on, everything flowed from that. Everything. I have my wife today because of that decision. Because before that, I was chasing women. And and after that, I stopped. I would have never met this woman nor God brought her into my life had I not stopped. I stopped. And I can tell you today, and this is God's gospel truth, that at 56, I have done, I have been through so many of the chapters of life, not all of them, but well over half of them that most of you have not even gotten to yet. The falling in love stage. The marriage stage. How do you provide for all those kids stage? Seeing four grow up. Three married. Soon to be seven grandchildren. I've watched all. They all went to college. And God provided for every single thing I needed. And my wife needed. Now, did he use some of my hard work to do it? My jobs? Yeah, but I didn't have very good jobs. And I learned frugality. And I learned to save. And I learned to see God open doors through prayer that most people would open with money. You see? But I saw God open them with prayer. And I saw God do things that because I followed him, because I sought him. For example, I knew God wanted me to move here to the Twin Cities. I knew God wanted me to join Brent. He's my partner. And we're, part, we're still partners for years, but he's at Evergreen Bloomington to plant churches up here. I moved up here. Had I not moved up here to do the will of God, in Iowa, they don't have something called post-secondary education, which means 15 and 16-year-olds, juniors and seniors, don't get to go to college free. They get to go to college free here in this state. If they pass the test, and mine did. So they all went. Had I stayed in Iowa, done my own thing or another state, they don't offer that. I could tell you so many ways in which God has provided because I saw it first, the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom of God. God, 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 and not money. And all my priorities in my life line up under that. You see, I order my life around these priorities, seeking first His ways, His righteousness, pursuing godliness, living to honor and please God, and advance His kingdom interest. then I can see where everything else fits into place. My time, my finances, my work, my health, my relationships, my marriage, my personal growth, my relationship with God, my prayers. Everything now is its place, its eternal purpose and reason for being. This gives order to my life, order to my day, and it guides every single decision that I make. Every single decision. I don't... This is really true. I don't, for example, work out or eat the way that I do or stay fit so that I can walk down the beach looking, you know, like, God, he's just so ripped. Not, not that I am, by the way, but I, that's not why I do this. It's for one reason and one reason alone. It's so that 60%, 60% of all illnesses are the result of lifestyle decisions. Did you know that? Around the whole entire world, 60% of the healthcare, we could almost eliminate some of the unbelievable costs of healthcare if you managed your life. 
Now, I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to get Alzheimer's. doesn't run in my family, but <clears throat> I could be the one. I don't know if I'm going to get dementia. I don't know if I'm going to get prostate cancer. I mean, it doesn't run in my family, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't get it. But I'm telling you this. I made a determination as a young man that I am going to be an example to my children. I am going to be as fit as I can for this reason because I see my primary role in life as being a servant of God by serving others. And if I am sick, and my body can't lift, and I don't have my strength, and I don't have my equilibrium, and I haven't taken care of what God gave me, I am not going to be able to serve other people very well. I'm not going to have much stamina. And my wife, because of the accident we were in, if later on in life she has worse and worse pain and is less and less functional, I want her to know you can count on this man because I am here and I'm going to take care of you because I took care of me. You understand that? That's what motivates me. It's not all the stuff you see on TV. You know, he's got to look at your body. Everybody compliment. I could care less. I care about the quality of service that I am able to give until I'm 85. That's what I care about. <clears throat> my finances. <clears throat> Everything about my finances <clears throat> is used... <clears throat> For what I believe, if you reveal the scripture, the scripture tells me to take care of my family, take care of my children, take care of my wife, help advance the kingdom of God. I try to advance the cause of righteousness. And I've I've been diligently. I didn't grow up with this. My parents didn't do this. My father didn't do this. But uh, I didn't get it until a very late start in life, even setting aside for what some people call retirement. I'm not going to retire. I'm literally setting mine aside for this reason. I plan on working well into my 70s and 80s. I'm preparing my body for that and my mind for that. It may or may not happen. But it's my responsibility, I believe, to set some aside. So I've been setting some aside in a 401k for as much as I can. And every time I get a little extra, I put it away and 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 I put it away. If in the event I don't need it, then my goal is to give it away. But my responsibility was to prepare. And the Bible says in Proverbs, wisdom prepares. Wisdom prepares. Everything in my life (coughs) fits into this grand purpose. So let me close with this thought. You may or may not have heard this before. (coughs) God has given you and I roles and responsibilities. And since I know many of you here (coughs) are football fans and you watch football... Let me just tell you the two singular foundational building blocks for a successful football team. It really comes down to two things. If you want me to coach your team after this, I'll pray about it. Okay? comes down to two things. Number one, I wrote them down, so I want to make sure I read them. Right. Everybody on the team must know and accept their role. Can't have, remember Brett Favre? Brett Favre sometimes wanted to be a linebacker. He liked tackling people. And the coaches on the other side, scream, you know, wringing his neck, uh, grabbing his hair like, stop it, Brett, you idiot. You're the quarterback. Let the other guys make the tackle. Do not throw your million-dollar body at the legs of a real linebacker. You idiot. That's what the coach is thinking. Why? 
Because he has a role and he has a responsibility. And if he goes out and pulls that macho crap and he gets hurt and he's out of the game, you have just hurt the team, Brett, because you wanted to be macho. That's the truth. I mean, I used to watch the interviews afterwards. You've got to know and accept your, your, your role. Number two, this is very important. Everyone must execute their role and follow the coach's game plan. You know what's happening in marriage today? You know why families aren't working? Because mom and dad, first, don't know their role. They've rebelled against their role. They're unwilling to accept their role. And third, they haven't mastered their role. My wife mastered her role. What I'm trying to help you dads do at the dad's workshop is embrace and master your role and live it out. And if you do, your game is going to change. You're going to win football games. Your family's going to win. If you don't, you don't have a prayer. You don't have a snowball's chance in hell. If you do not embrace your God-given roles in life. So here's, here's just a rundown. I focus. I understand my roles. <clears throat> I am a servant of God. First and foremost, I'm his child. I'm a servant. Jesus said the greatest of all will be the servant of all. And I serve whoever God puts in my way, in my life. Whether it's through an email, whether it's a phone, whether it's a young person, an older person, my wife, my children. For I serve my God by serving his people. <clears throat> and serving those who are not yet his people. I am a missionary to them, a light to them. What kind of a light am I? Am I attractive? Do, do you do your work well? Do you consider how you go about your day at work recognizing that you, Jesus is gone and you are now his light of the world? Vocational role. I'm a pastor, leader, shepherd, counselor, teacher. I have a number of responsibilities and I take them extremely seriously. I pray over them fervently, many times with tears, begging God to give me more wisdom, to make me better and more skilled and more insightful that I might be more effective in his business. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, throw yourself into these things so that your progress is evident to everyone. Make some progress. Grow. If you don't, then you're not accepting responsibility for your role. I'm a husband. I take it very seriously. A provider. I take it very seriously. Very, very seriously. I'm a financial manager. God has given me finances to manage. He's given them to you. How well are you embracing that role? How well? Did you ever stop to think that, wait a minute, God's my boss right here. He gave me all this money. Would he want me to be wasting it on this? Would he want me to be spending it on this? Is the way I use my money reflect biblical values? Does it reflect the priorities of my life? Does it reflect good judgment? I'm a household servant. I always seek to balance, you know, I, I didn't buy my first house till I was 43. And when I did, I did something very strategic. Now that my kids were mostly grown, I used the house in Old Shakopee, which had an acre of land and about 50 trees. I used it to teach them a work ethic. 
The driveway held nine cars when it snowed, 22 inches. It was a lot to shovel. Old dad was out there with them leading the way, but so was every one of them with their little miniature shovels. And they learned, and I never, I never, I still this day, I don't have a snowblower. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a snowblower. It's not wrong. I just don't have one. I didn't have one with them. You're going to learn to work, and I'm out here with you. We raked the lawn. You're going to learn to work. You mowed the lawn. It took three hours to mow. You're going to learn to work. They saw dad do it for years by himself. I'll do it. But as I get older, I began to realize, you know, my life isn't about landscaping. My life isn't about this house. I just need something that's functional, <clears throat> that works well. That's good for my wife. That's very, 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 very inexpensive. <clears throat> very, very, very easy to maintain because I have places to go and people to see. My lawn takes 18 minutes to mow. <clears throat> and if you don't get deep snow, I just shovel it down the hill. I can do it pretty quick. The aluminum siding, I'm very happy with it. The deck's been painted a couple times. Friends help me with it. I'm not into my house. It serves a purpose. It houses the missionaries that live in it that are on mission. And I take care of it, <clears throat> but I'm not obsessive about it. <clears throat> I'm a manager of assets. <clears throat> so are you. <clears throat> I have vehicles. I have things in that home. They're my responsibility to take care of their assets. I'm a steward of them. I'm a father. I take that extremely seriously. I can't even tell you how, how serious I take being a father to this day. The prayers that I prayed for my children, to pray over them, to stand guard over their life. I oversee them. I know sometimes they chafe at it. It bothers them. And I'm learning. I'm learning. Now that they're older, they're gone. But they have no idea how much I love them and care about them and pray about them every day. And the things I see on the horizon, I just see them. I live them. I walk through all the things they're going through. I'm a grandfather. I'm a friend. I'm a son. Those about sum up the roles of my life. They all come with corresponding responsibilities. And it's my passion to excel in every one of those. It is my passion to take the wisdom and truths of God and live them out. That is what Christianity is all about. This stuff will change your life. It will change your life. And it's my prayer, as maybe we go one or two more weeks in this, <clears throat> that you will really go back and assess your life. Don't get discouraged. You know, I just love these two emails. These people, both of them, I mean it. They didn't get discouraged. They just simply manned up, womaned up. It's like, wow, I don't have to stay this way. My life can be better. My life can be different. My life can be wiser. And I'm going to do something about it. And they got really good advice, if I do say so myself. <clears throat> and they made some really positive changes. And you know what? I, I'm not exaggerating. I've seen this people's lives for a quarter of a century quarter century. Now I've seen many ignore this. Oh yeah, I've seen that. I've seen many burn out, many lives fall apart, but I've seen many turn around. And my prayer is that you'll be one of them. Father, I just thank you tonight for the power of the word of God, the power of your truth. I love it, Lord. I mean, it's, I love it. It's my passion. Your word, your wisdom, <clears throat> and, the, and the privilege, Lord, of not only getting to live it, but share it with one another. Help us, Lord. Help me. <clears throat> help me to grow in greater wisdom and greater understanding and greater influence and greater fruitfulness and greater productivity as I come to understand you more and obey and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen.